You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. It's great to be here. As uh, Jason said, my name is Larry Craig. Uh, Many of you know our son, Brian, and the beautiful lady singing up here is Brian's mother. And uh, we're here and he's not, but he will be here later in the afternoon. So I know there's a men's retreat going on and uh, we're really extra glad to get to be here. Uh, Brian's kids are on spring break this week, so we usually try to come out and have some great time while they're on spring break. We're also just been here about a day, but enjoying your weather. We've had lots of snowstorms. A couple of weeks ago, we got to go to Orlando for some meetings. Uh, Steve was there. It was awesome. I mean, it was awesome Steve being there, but it was extra awesome the weather. And uh, then we had another big snowstorm, and now we're here in sunshine. Uh, if you're a guest, welcome. I'm a guest, too. If you don't like the sermon, I'm just a guest. So somebody else will be here next week, and maybe it'll be a lot better. So, uh, you know, give it another week. If this is your first week and it's a bomb for you. Uh, I know it's a bomb means something different to some of you than it does to me. Anyway. uh, But uh, Brian asked me to speak on a very familiar passage. I understand this is your series of taking some very well-known passages that are also sometimes uh, misapplied and uh, trying to get what the Bible has to say about them. And so we're looking today at a very, very great passage in a very, very great chapter, and that's uh, Romans chapter 8, and specifically in verse 28. And Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we'll read on a little bit. It's a great song that we've just sung, and it's really taken from, taken from a story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 4 that illustrates the passage we're talking about today. It is well because we belong to God and He knows what He's doing. Uh, you know, in the story, uh, the prophet Elijah traveled around. Uh, there was a woman who decided she wanted to build a room on her house that was especially for him to come when he was traveling. And he came and he was grateful and he said she and her husband would have a child. And they didn't have a child, but they did have the child. Then the child died. And uh, she goes after Elisha, uh, obviously in distress. And, and yet the message she has her servant who runs ahead tell Elisha is it is well that's really what this passage means it is well because God has a plan you know it's good to have a plan I went to uh, high school with a you know with a lot of people I had a friend named Bob and his neighbor second door down we went to high school with his name was Steve and uh, Steve was one of those people I hope he never listens to this by the way (laughs) Steve was one of those people who was brilliant, but without a lot of common sense. You ever known somebody like that? And uh, don't punch your neighbor or your husband or your wife. But um, we, uh, and I have to admit many, many years later that Bob and I 
kind of had an ulterior motive in being nice to Steve because his birthday was real early in the year and he got his driver's license way before we did. We were in July and August and so he could take us places. But one day Steve said, I want to show you something. So he took us up the steps into the attic of his house. And it was not very big. It was kind of a, a, a ranch house. And so it was one of those, you know, pitched roof attics. You could stand up right in the middle of it. But he said, I want to show you something. In this attic, he was building a boat. Pretty good sized boat, like 12, 15, 14 feet long. And uh, Bob and I looked at each other, and I don't remember because this was way more than 50 years ago, who said what first, but one of us said, um, how are you going to get it out of here? And he looked with this very puzzled, incredulous look like that had never occurred to him how he was going to get it out of here. So, you know, life goes on. We never ask any more questions about the boat. Uh, we went to different colleges, completely lost touch with him. We moved different places. I went to our 10-year high school reunion. He didn't. I went to our 40th high school reunion. Between 10 and 40 was pretty awful, but, uh, and what we looked like. But then he wasn't there. I went to our 50th reunion. There was Steve. I almost said his last name. There was Steve. And we started talking, and he said, you know, my sister lives in the house we grew up in. Oh, you know what I wanted to ask him so badly. Is that boat still up there? But I just, I mean, I hadn't seen him in 50 years. I did more. I just didn't have the nerve. So I know. I don't know. Maybe I'll email him. I mean, you, you know, I'll let you know what I find out. This is, but, you know, God does have a plan. And he started through, and it's a plan to take care of us. This is a great chapter, and in the context, this verse is even greater because Romans is such an, uh, an amazing book. We spent in uh, our region, and by the way, I'm, I'm part of the New York City Church, and I get to serve as an elder there, and we work with uh, a region in New Jersey. Uh, and uh, we spent the first six months of last year studying the book of Romans, chapter at a time on Sunday. And it was awesome. Because Paul is really making the point that we are who we are because of our faith in Jesus. Not because of a Jewish background, not because of a Gentile background. We've all sinned. We all need Jesus. And there are credible blessings in being in Christ. And in chapter 8, he gets to the beginning of those blessings. We're free in Christ. We have God's Spirit that helps us. God's Spirit prays for us when we don't even know what to pray about. And then he says, and we know, even though we may not know what to pray about sometimes, we know that God works for the good of those who love him. And he goes on and talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. And this passage really is a key to our security, our optimism, our, our faith, our positive outlook. It is misunderstood what it means and says sometimes. In fact, yesterday, I was looking at the news on my phone, and on a major news uh, broadcast that wasn't 
a spiritual Christian-oriented uh, news organization, but that the uh, headline caught my attention because it says, a man prayed about his wedding and got more than he bargained for. So open that thing up. And the whole story was nine years ago, a guy was getting married in Washington, D.C., very beautiful, historic church that had very limited parking, and he prayed for a parking place. And he got to the wedding to get married, and he found a parking place, and he says, I know Romans 8, 28, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, I have to admit, particularly when we lived in Brooklyn, New York, several times I prayed for a parking place. But I'm not sure that that's what the passage really means. That, hey, you know, pray for a parking place and you're going to get it. Pray that you won't, you'll, the line will move faster than you thought. I mean, I do believe God's concerned about the details of our lives, but I think there's a bigger message in this passage. As Brian sent out uh, the, some, some information and instructions for those of us who will be talking about these different passages, he said try to uh, think about something that you've never thought about before or learned before about this passage. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been standing in front of people and studying the Bible for a long time, and I thought, okay, I don't, I don't want to be prideful about this, but what is it that I haven't seen before? And then it kind of dawned on me that so many people think something about this passage that isn't true. It does not mean that everything that happens to me is good when I'm a Christian. It just does not mean that. It's more about the sum total of our lives. And there is a condition here. It's a great promise. But it says God works for the good of those who love him. And that's a whole other lesson about what it means to love him. But it does mean throughout the Bible, we see God's plan. And a lot of different stories. You look at the, the life of Joseph. Definitely everything that happened to Joseph was not good. It's interesting because Joseph is one of the few men in the Old Testament about whom nothing negative is written. No apparent sins. Now, you know, you might say when you're a 17-year-old person bragging to your brothers, they're all going to bow down before you. Maybe wasn't the wisest thing to do. And it did have some consequences. But you know the story. I mean, God blessed Joseph, although he was sold by his brothers as a slave. And he became uh, important in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He was a young kid a long way from home, but he stood up to her and ended up being in prison. He, God blessed him. He came to a position of prominence in prison. The guy that was supposed to help him forgot and finally, God uses him to answer Pharaoh's uh, questions about his dreams. And finally, he's reunited with his family, his brothers, his father. And if you try to figure out the timetable, between the time he was sold as a slave and reunited with his family was 22 years. And he was 39, so more than half of his life had been pretty messed up. But, you know, after his father died and his brothers got really nervous that maybe his forgiveness had been somewhat 
conditioned by their father, and they were really kind of panicking, what's going to happen now? You know, it's a very famous passage where Joseph says in uh, Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Because Joseph went to Egypt, and God used him to get ready for the famine. What became the Israelite nation was spared. A lot of other people were spared. There are a lot of stories. Amram and Jochebed, a few generations later, 400 years later. I don't know how in the world this couple hid a baby for three months. They must have had thick walls on their house or something. But again, tough times. The, the uh, Pharaoh had asked that all the young boys be killed, and, and somehow they managed to hide him, and when they couldn't hide him anymore, you know the story, they put him in a basket in the river, and guess who finds him? Pharaoh's daughter. And like most of us, not just women, she couldn't resist this little baby and took him home, and his mother became his nurse, and all this stuff happened for the deliverance of the people. So many stories. Ruth, her husband died, her brother-in-law died, her father-in-law died. Stuff happened. She had to go begging in the field of a man who ended up marrying her, and she became Ruth's great-grandmother. I'm sorry, Ruth, not uh, David's great-grandmother. So many things. Paul, you know, even Paul, Esther, we could talk about Esther if we had time. For such a time as this, her cousin said, you're here. God put you here at the right time, at the right place to rescue our people. You know, Paul, Paul certainly was a demonstration of the fact that when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean everything just falls into place in a lovely little package. You see the things he described that he went through because he was a Christian, being persecuted, being beaten, being imprisoned. And then he talks about he had some kind of thorn in the flesh, some kind of physical problem, apparently, that God didn't take away from him. And his attitude was, I need this because I get really conceited. That's my history of my personality and character, so this is okay because it helps me rely on God, a very spiritual outlook. huh? And part of that is a realization God's purpose even though he loves us intimately and personally, is bigger than me. And it's bigger than you. Now, do I understand how God orchestrates situations in life for his purpose without violating people's free will? Absolutely not. I don't understand that. But I believe it from what I read and from what I've experienced. And there's a significant part of this passage where it says God works for the good of those who love him have been called according to his purpose. Am I living for my purpose or for God's purpose? Well, what really is God's purpose for us? Well, Paul goes on. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. What is God's purpose for you and me? It's to be like Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. And in becoming like Jesus, to care about people more than I naturally care about people. You know, Paul wrote to the Colossians that Jesus was the deity in bodily form. We read that God is love. You see in Jesus the character of love and compassion. That's what took him to the cross. 
So Paul's saying, God is trying to help you and me become like Jesus. Sometimes that involves things that are helpful to other people as well because God cares about them and we care about them because we come, become like Jesus. You know, and when you think about it that way, not to minimize the difficulties that we face sometimes. You know, in other places, James, Peter, they remind us that sometimes those things refine us, don't they? Sometimes the challenges that we face are helping our characters. Paul said that back in chapter 5, too. Does that mean I like them? Sometimes I'm like, God, would you kind of leave my character alone a little while? Isn't it all right already, please? I'm not a pessimist about life, but life is bumpy sometimes. And God never promises that it won't be. He promises a bigger picture for our lives. And as we're becoming like Jesus, we're, as we're trying to help other people, that's part of God's plan. Paul used the challenging situations he had faced as an inspiration to help other people. He talks uh, in the Corinthian letter about the challenges that he faced in Ephesus, and he said, you know, they taught me to rely on God, and they taught me a comfort from God that I'm giving to you. Let me say again, not everything that happens to us, even as Christians, is inherently good. And if we look at this verse this way, we're going to be sadly disappointed and embittered because there are things happen to us often that are completely beyond our control that we have no part in, no responsibility for. Sometimes we suffer things because of the sins of somebody else that we're not responsible before, for, but the consequences affect us. Illnesses, abuses, financial situations. And God can use those things to strengthen us, shape us, help us, help us help other people. You know, there, there's a concept here that nothing happens outside of God's control. Does that mean that God caused somebody to abuse somebody else? No, I don't think that's what it means. But I think it does mean everything that happens, God either causes or allows to happen. We're just not in control. But God is. As I mentioned, we had three really intense snowstorms about three weeks in a row, about foot, foot and a half of snow, and it's, that's a lot even by New Jersey standards where we live. The first one was okay. The second one, our power went out. Just about three days, but I'm telling you, uh, you realize how helpless you are when you have no electricity. We've lived in our house 13 years. We've never lost power before. We've had a couple of hurricanes, a lot of things. We've always had power. People have always come and stayed at our house because we had power. We have two daughters that live new, nearby. They had power. I kept saying, come over. We're fine. Oh, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. It's going to come back on. And it didn't, and it didn't, and it got colder and colder. And, you know, the, the things that happen that you don't think about. We have a gas water heater, and so we had hot water. Mary Lou said, I can wash my hair. I said, yeah, how are you going to dry it? Oh. 
I'm trying to clear my driveway. I've got a snowblower. This is New Jersey. But it's really big, and it's got an electric start. So you have to plug it in to start it. I'm like, oh. It's got a crank, but you got to be the Incredible Hulk to start it with a crank, man. I just, so I'm like the olden days, shoveling the snow, you know. Oh, isn't it terrible? After that, we went to Florida. I was with some friends from Lagos, Nigeria, where they don't have any snow. It's on the equator. They do lose power frequently, just it's the way it's set up, but everybody's got a generator. I'm telling this, and they get embarrassed. I said, I know this is a first world problem, but I live in the first world. You just realize we're, we're, we're not in control. We're just not in control. And, you know, you can't always evaluate when something is happening what God is doing. And I think that's part of the message of this passage, that you have to kind of stand back. And sometimes it may be really late in life or it may be heaven when we stand back and see, oh, that's what was happening. But God's saying it's happening for our ultimate good and trying to help us be like Jesus and also help us help other people. You know, I'm entering a new stage in life I'll be 70 this summer. I know you're shocked. Some of you thought I was about 50, but then you thought, oh, no, Brian and his family, I can't be. <laughs> if you thought I was about 80, I'll forgive you at some point. <laughs> but it's interesting. I was with, uh, we had uh, Gordon Ferguson uh, speak in our group last month, and we got to hang out, and, you know, he's a little bit older than I am, and we were just having this funny conversation about how you feel the same way inside. But then things happen, you realize you don't look the same way inside. I was going to McDonald's a couple of weeks ago, and this young woman stops to open the door for me. I'm like, stop! I didn't say that, but I'm like... And then I went from there to another store, and again, somebody opens the door for me. I grew up in the South. I open the door for people. You don't open the door for people. Me, I guess I'm an old guy now, so they open the door for me. Then I went to the grocery store. And I couldn't get the grocery cart separated. You know how they're stuck together? And I'm trying to pull them apart. And there's a man sitting in a van, obviously waiting for somebody to come out. And he watches me, this middle-aged guy. And he gets out of his van and walks around and says, do you need help? <laughs> I'm like, no, I can do it. No, no, I didn't say that. But fortunately, just then it came apart. And I'm like, I don't look the way I feel, I guess. And I don't act the way I feel. I don't think of, of us as these wise, aged sages, but we have lived a while in life and have seen a lot of stuff happen in our lives and the lives of other people. And I do believe this passage. I even think back to, uh, you know, how I grew up. And, and uh, my mother died of cancer when she was 35 and I was 11 and had a younger brother and sister. And, and my dad never remarried, and our family just was extremely dysfunctional. I know we use that word a lot, but it was just kind of a mess. And I look back and think, well, I don't know. I mean, I can see some good things. My mother's father became a Christian while she was ill with cancer, and she even said maybe this is what it took. But I also look back and see some bad ways that my family dynamic affected me, 
And having a single parent, sometimes after almost 49 years, Mary Lou has to remind me, you know you have a wife. Oh, yeah. Would you like to be part of this decision? Oh, okay, great. <laughs> but I can see also it gave me some convictions about what I want my family to be like that I don't think I would have had otherwise. Some other things that happened. You know, uh, Mary Lou and I met in college. I told Betty a while ago, I heard her sing before I met her. She said, did that do it? I said, yeah, that did it. <laughs> we, uh, we got married between our junior and senior year of college. Don't any young people think, oh, that's oh, okay, here we go. God all worked it out. But uh, we both were going to be teachers. Uh, she was going to be an elementary school teacher. I was an English major. I wanted to be an English teacher, ultimately an English professor. You know, uh, it was the height of the Vietnam War. And uh, some things happened, particularly my last year of college. Uh, first, uh, some few of you are old enough to remember anything about this, what I'm talking about, but uh, there was a draft, and so you had to go to college. You got a number, and when they called your number, you went. For a while, they exempted you if you were still in college, and then they stopped doing that because it really wasn't fair. People who had the, the money or the ability to go to college were exempt, and so the spring of that year... Uh, or sometime in that year that happened they would let you finish my draft number was uh, 42 or something and they were way up in the 200s so then also they had some occupational deferments what does that mean if you were in some occupations you didn't have to go teaching school was one of those that was not why I wanted to be a teacher but you know I just had not ever thought about uh, going to the Army, going to Vietnam. I was going to teach school. Well, right the spring of the year, right before we were supposed to graduate, uh, President Nixon, who ended up being, you know, anyway, let's don't even go into that, ended all the occupational deferments. And so all of a sudden I realized I, my future is going to be different. I had already had a contract to teach school in the Nashville school system uh, where, we, where we went to college. Uh, you know, we graduated from college on a uh, Saturday, and I got my notice on Monday. I thought, guess they didn't forget me. I didn't get lost in the system. So everything was kind of upside down, trying to decide what are we going to do. Um, I decided I didn't know anything about the service. My dad had not been in the service. I just was so woefully naive about it all. I didn't think I wanted to go in as an officer because I knew I didn't want to stay. I just want to get my time in, get out, go back to the life I have planned, and uh, so we got it worked out. My father was an educator, and uh, he had a friend who was the superintendent of schools in Dade County, Florida. And I enlisted, and that's where I was going to be stationed. And so this high, as high up you can go, said, oh, I will give Mary Lou a job teaching school. Okay, so we got it all worked out. I'm going to be an enlisted man. I didn't know what that meant. I'm not going to have any money, but she's going to teach school. We'll be fine. And about two weeks later, we found out there's going to be a baby became Brian. He's awesome. <laughs> but um, that means she's not going to teach school. That means it just everything was in that time frame too. My best friend drowned in a boating accident right after I got into basic training for three days and I had to come back. And some of you remember, may remember I shared about his mother uh, when I was here last who just passed away a year ago at 99. So all of a sudden, everything about our life is completely turned over. No plan. We're going to Florida, not 
to Daytona Beach to lie in the sun. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to Vietnam. I'm going to the Everglades and fight alligators and mosquitoes. I guess that's better. But everything was turned. We just kind of decided, that, okay, it's kind of futile to really make these definite plans about your life because God's going to do something else, perhaps. And we look back and see how you know, we are so grateful for those things happening. Because God took us away from, this is a broad generalization, but I think a complacent kind of, kind of Christianity that we were both comfortable in and took us to a place where we had to kind of start out and, and you know, really be Christians on our own and then eventually got uh, involved in what became... Uh, some of you may remember way, way back the Crossroads Movement and then a lot of things that became where we are today. God helped us uh, really become true Christians and our kids had a whole different upbringing from either one of Just a lot. I ended up going into the ministry, which I told somebody the other day, on the list of top 10 things I wanted to do, that was about number 25. <laughs> but we got away from where we were and saw a different need and so many things. That was the beginning of a, of a journey, a lot of different things where God took us places we hadn't intended to go and did a lot of things, but he meant it for our good. Amen. We see that. We believe that. And that's what God says in this passage. You know, Paul means this to encourage us. How do we respond when things happen that we don't understand or don't like, and they are going to happen. Unless you were, I don't know, wake up to a new world every morning and don't know what's happening about anything. It's just, there's just stuff that happens in life. Again, I'm not pessimistic, but being a Christian is not this rabbit's foot that keeps all the bad things away. As Paul continues this chapter, you know, he says, and let's read again in verse 28 and read down to the end of the chapter. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? What's the conclusion here? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, and he quotes from what we call Psalm 44, For your sake we face death all day long, and are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors. 
through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said, everything that happens to you is not going to be good. I mean, he lists some things here that potentially could happen to us that aren't in of themselves good. But he says, God has a plan. It's a plan for you to become like Jesus. And in becoming like Jesus, be a help to others. And he says, look, God's for us. Who can be against us? Who can make God not love us? Who can make God not want to take care of his children and protect them and all these promises? Don't you love where Paul says, God won't let us be tempted more than we can bear? 1 Corinthians 10, there's a way of escape. I think that goes with this passage. Look, when stuff is happening, you're like, what in the world? God's saying, I'm not going to let you have more than you can handle. There's a way out. Because temptation sometimes isn't just these blatant things. It's a temptation to be discouraged, to be frustrated, to be faithless, to be worried. How do we respond to difficulties in life? With fear or faith? With despair or with determination to hold on to God? With bitterness or with thankfulness? You know, when Job's life got all back in order. He said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours is thwarted. Guy said, Job said, I don't know that I still understand it all. And we read the book of Job all these centuries later and we still don't quite understand it all. But we know God had a plan. And you know, there, there's a, an old story that you may have heard it's a supposedly an old Chinese proverb. It's about an elderly man and his only son who lived together in a small rural community. One night, the father's horse wanders off, and his neighbors come to express their sympathy for his loss. But the old man says to them, How do you know this is ill fortune? A few days later, the horse returns followed by an entire herd of wild horses. <laughs> now the neighbors come to congratulate the old man on his good luck. But the old man says, how do you know this is good fortune? Time passes during which the son takes to riding the wild horses until one of them throws him and breaks his leg. Again the neighbors come, this time to express sorrow for the man's Bad luck. How do you know it's bad luck? Asked the old man. A short time later, a Chinese warlord comes into the town to recruit all the able-bodied young men for his next little war. But his son escapes the draft because of his broken leg. This time, the neighbors tell the old man how pleased they are at his good fortune. And one more time, the old man replies, how do you know this is good fortune? Here the story ends, although it could, of course, go on and on and on. Sometimes it seems like a bad day when some, something tragic happens in, in our lives. 
And we're not minimizing the difficult things that we face at all. Please don't get that message. We're not saying that terrible things don't happen in this life sometimes. But, you know, I think this passage really means as Christians, we sort of have to withhold our judgment over whether it's a good day or a bad day, maybe to all the days are in, which maybe will be when we get to heaven. We can look back, as I mentioned, and see the turn of events that we hadn't planned and didn't like and didn't want, God used to really save our souls and help us help other people. You know, it seemed like a bad day when Jesus hung on the cross. But that bad day was quickly followed by a good day when he rose. And as we take communion, look again at what Paul says in verse 31. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Paul said, do you want to know whether God is committed to your well-being? Look at the cross. God gave his son. I have a son. I have six grandsons. I have three granddaughters. I got two daughters, two sons-in-law, a daughter-in-law, a wonderful wife. I'm not giving up any of them. I hope I'm never asked to. God gave his son so that this promise can be real in our lives, that we can be forgiven. And that's really, bottom line, the only thing that matters, isn't it? Whether we're forgiven of our sins, all the things that happen in life don't make any difference as long as we're forgiven of our sins. And basking in the love of God, and that's what Paul goes on and says, that's how, in spite of the challenges of life, we are more than conquerors because of what Jesus did on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us so many promises Father, we know sometimes we want to make them say things they don't say, sort of for our, our benefit. We want to stand back and see that you really do know what is best. And you really do uh, have our best interest at heart. And Father, as we take communion, oh my, we, ha we want to think about the cross and see that as Paul says, you have shown us beyond any doubt how committed you are to us by giving your son for us and that you will give us Everything that we need, you've shown that on the cross. Thank you that we can take the bread and be reminded that Jesus hurt for us. Thank you that we can take the cup and know that our sins are forgiven because his blood was given for us. Thank you that because of this, we can live lives as more than conquerors. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.